Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What say you, Richard Ellen Murdoch? Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious I'm not here to work with them, okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. It was earlier tonight. Uh, I don't know the exact time, but... Okay. I left, I was probably gone an hour and a half from my mom's and I saw them about 45 minutes before that. And at that point in time, SLED was not there. No one had gotten GSR from you. Your law partners or Sheriff Hill were not there. That's correct. No one had asked you about your relationships. David Owen was not there. That's correct. But you still told the same lie and all those reasons that you just gave this jury about the most important part of your testimony was a lie to. Isn't that true, Mr. Murdoch? I, I disagree with that. Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders Money and Mystery. This is our daily recap podcast about the Murdoch's, uh, Alec Murdoch's double murder trial. With me tonight is our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon. We have our executive producer, Drew Tripp here, as well as Max Harrison, who is taking care of all of the production, as well as uh, fielding your questions. So hopefully you'll be able to reach out to us and let us know if you have any questions as we uh, talk about what happened today. 14 hours altogether, Alec Murdoch was on the stand uh, the defendant in this case, uh, pleading his case directly to the jurors. And today was about cross-examination. And uh, you just heard uh, pretty much the finale for Creighton Waters, right? There was a little bit of a rebuttal, um, or a redirect, sorry. Not much of one. No? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, really, he came back in for a little bit, but um, what we heard was what he was trying to get across, that that he was still lying to these jurors. So what do we think about how Defendant Murdoch handled his story today? I thought uh, Assistant Attorney General Waters shredded him. Very effective cross-examination, in my view. The length of it, one might argue about it in the abstract, but if he sat in that courtroom... I thought it was really well received by those that count. And the theme of lie, 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 I mean, that word had to have been said hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. 
And he, of course, had to admit that he lied really throughout the last two decades, something like that. And he went through it in, in very uh, explicit and graphic detail of the seriousness of these lies. And the one lie that he, of course, focused in on, which was, I think, a central point of the state's case and a central weakness of the defendant's case, is that he lied about being at the kennels. And I don't know how, if you're supposedly worried about catching your wife's killer, and your son's killer, that you don't tell somebody, law enforcement or a friend or somebody, hey, I just left him. I was down there. Everything was safe. And I think, again, we still have some testimony left. But in terms of proving a case beyond a reasonable doubt, I think it's there. That timeline just shrunk into the netherworld, didn't it? And I, I think, since it's right on the top of my head, I'll say that I think it's a tactical error by the defense to belabor this any further. Uh, or maybe it's not a tactical error as much as it's just a fool's errand. Uh, I think, it, as, as we've put it, um, because I, I don't think there's any way you recover from this, unless... We'll see, but... I know, they've been twists and turns enough in this case, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, well, so. we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But to that end, I I don't know if it's going to help their cause, especially with the jury, as long as much of a marathon that went. But uh, I also I agree, Charlie, to your point. I think Creighton Waters absolutely shredded him up there today. Yeah, I and th- you know, I think, what, I, think, I think a fair assessment of the proof, though, is that if you're a juror that wants to have the CSI effect completely met, mm-hmm. it is true. There's things that law enforcement could have done. There are holes in certain parts of this. So theoretically, you could say, well, I really think he did it, but I'm not comfortable with the proof. I suppose I could see a juror or two. I don't see 12 doing it, though, uh, based upon what I've seen in the last five weeks, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, of testimony. And there are some you know, interesting points that could be made about the um, the electronic evidence that can be confusing to some. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what we're going to see in closing arguments for sure from the defense, that, hey, uh, I know we've got issues here that you might find suspicious, but the state has not met its burden. I'm sure we'll see that. Right. I, the other thing is, to and to, and to your point, <laughs> the lies, the lies, the lies, as Creighton Waters proved on the up there today, he lied about why he lied, um, and that was the that was the whole crux of that video or the yeah, the video the soundbite we played at the beginning of this podcast today. Uh, Creighton Waters picking apart the reasons why Alec said he got paranoid and felt he needed to lie about his not being at the kennels, and those were lies too. Uh, just based on the based on the very first very first police interaction he had when he was already telling those lies, when all the motivations, all the underlying factors that he tried to layer the story with, they weren't factors at that point. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And that it was, it was very hurtful to what he was saying. I mean, the, they're just, if you, if you distrust sled, which is where he was going with this was that he distrusted the state law enforcement division because of their handling of various cases, not just the boat mm-hmm. crash, but mm-hmm. I got the impression other other reasons. So that would 
mean that the lo- the local or the county, you know, law enforcement would be more uh, something he would trust more possibly. But then, of course, what you yeah, just heard yes, yes. completely right. blew that out of the water. Right, right. So he didn't really have a uh-huh. whole lot to lean back on, except for yeah. that he disagreed with yeah. what Creighton Water said. We actually have another clip about more lies as we go through this, um, because it certainly was the theme it was of day the of day. lies. Um, we're not lying about that. Li- yeah, we're not <laughs> lying. Yeah, there, there were lies about lies about lies. Um, he, let's listen to this. This is more specifically about the big lie, the kennel video, where mm-hmm. that just completely um, screwed up the timeline in this for the defense. I did not tell them that I went to the kennel. I lied about that. And at the same time, you also looked at this jury and tried to tell them that you had been cooperative in this investigation. Uh, other than lying to them about going to the kennel, I was cooperative in every aspect of this investigation. Very cooperative, except for maybe the most important fact of all, that you were at the murder scene with the victims just minutes before they died. Right? I did not tell them that I went to the kennel. He didn't tell them, and now that's what is completely um, changed. Not changed, because I think that the prosecution was already doing a pretty... Pretty specific job um, throughout these weeks, but boy, did it it bring bring it home. And I wanted to just say I could even hear in that one clip a little bit of what was going on in that courtroom. And Charlie was in there, uh, you know. Too, we were dealing with a pretty rowdy crowd today. Uh, Judge Newman took care of it. We did. Very, Judge Newman you know, fan club. Yeah. Another key point there that he, in a very firm but polite way. Do not uh, react to testimony here, and it do stopped. not cause a mistrial. Right? Please mm-hmm. don't. Please mm-hmm. stop. It stopped, and uh, well, it was something that in the air. The line was the longest I think we've ever seen. It was Alec Murdoch. True. I think it was. True. I mean, to, to know that he was still going to be on the stand today mm-hmm. was just, I think, irresistible mm-hmm. for some of the people that had been following this trial for so long. They wanted to hear it for themselves yeah, and to be able to discuss it. Yeah, same here. I mean, I look forward to seeing how. By the way, I'll make this sort of uh, maybe legal point that I found really interesting. In fact, I had to speak with uh, Creighton about it afterwards. You're typically taught in cross-examining anyone not to ask these open-ended questions like why. You want to only ask the question you know the answer to and ask it such that it has to be a yes or no fashion. Well, today, he broke the rule book. I think, I don't know, what do you think, 25 or 50 why questions? Why did you do this? Why do do that? And I... I didn't see him get burned one time, but that it was very effective, and it really worked quite well. So I may have to rethink that rule in my own head. It, it was very effective. I didn't know that was a rule in the mm-hmm. That's in your the generally taught that, and uh, just been my experience. You better be careful in asking these open-ended why, because it gives them a chance to put forth information you may not want them to put forth in the fashion they're putting it forth. Mm-hmm. And so you're allowed to control them with these yes or no questions, and then they can explain that's your typical rule. And he did that for a lot of his examination, but there was... Many, many times he would ask the, the, the supposedly forbidden why question, and it worked out quite well for him. Yep. He was uh, extending the rope, the proverbial rope with which he hung himself, uh, mm-hmm. to use a, a, a morbid analogy there uh, or metaphor. But I, I'm <sighs> so many, to that end, so many contradictions revealed themselves throughout the day. The big one to me, 
uh, and, and I caught this one. Uh, if you listen back to yesterday's episode, if you were listening and have this, you, you'll remember I made a point yesterday. It stuck out to me how fixated Murdoch seemed and how aware he seemed with regard to the GPS location data yes. from the phones and his vehicle after the fact of after the fact of the murders. And he, he kept making that point about he, he tried and tried to get in touch with SLED to get that info from them or to see where they were to get updates from them on extracting the phone data and extracting the car data. So because he knew he needed that data to be able to prove that he wasn't there which was just to me a really stunning presence of mind. Uh, it, it, it was almost too much of a hyperfixation. And today, mm. I think he walked right into he walked right into a trap with that because he said yesterday, I knew that our phones and my vehicle never crossed path. Our phones being his phone, Alex's cell phone, Maggie's cell phone, and the mm. his, the his SUV, the Chevy Suburban. Today in Cross-exam- cross-examination by the state, Murdoch said, essentially, and I will I'll pull up the quote here for, for everyone, just to make sure I got the verbiage exactly right, but he was essentially saying that he didn't remember. You know, it, it's the mantra that he, he echoed throughout everything, uh, throughout this trial, where he it, Waters would try and ask him direct questions and he would say, I, I, I just don't recall, Mr. Waters. I don't recall. I don't remember. Um, and that burned him a little bit because what he said, what he said to Waters today was, quote, he must not have taken his phone with him to the kennels the night of the murders based on the facts and evidence. He admitted that. Uh, and he said, quote, he believes he probably didn't take his phone with him, but Quote, he doesn't specifically remember. That was his direct quote today. He says he doesn't specifically remember taking his phone with him to the kennels or to, down to see Maggie or when he went down briefly to see Maggie and Paul at the kennels. He says he doesn't remember it, but he concedes he must not have taken with him. However, he got back up there in redirect with Jim Griffin late in the afternoon, and he said verbatim, as just as he said yesterday, he knew He knew his phone and Maggie's phone and his car were never together at any point in time the night of the murders. How could he, why would he know that? How could he know that? If he didn't know it three hours earlier when he was testifying for the Mm -hmm. state, he wasn't, he couldn't remember. And here he is a couple hours later with Jim Griffin and he suddenly he knew their phones were never together and he didn't have his phone. Just a huge contradiction. And Jim Griffin, sure. This that was his, oh sure, and he just quickly dismissed it mm-hmm. and moved on to the next thing. Like, shut up, stop talking about this. Ixnay, one of those type yeah. of things. That that that's the vibe. That was the tone I read in Jim's voice. But right there, he walked he walked himself by sticking to his script and continuing to talk and mm-hmm. by Creighton letting him talk. He walked himself right out on that plank. Well, and there was a, another, a couple of things, and Creighton Waters noticed it enough to bring it up again. He said the first time he was asking Alec, it might have even been yesterday, when he was asking Alec what he did um, when he went down there, got the chicken out of his, got the chicken out of Bubba's mouth, and then he, he said, and, and then I got out of there. And then, so Creighton brought it up today. He goes, you got out of there, huh? You got out of there. 
And it just didn't, it sounded menacing. It didn't sound good the way he said it. And I think Alec tried to back off of that and be like, yeah, I was ready to go back up to the house. I, I didn't want to be there in the first place. I, I didn't want to be there and get all hot and sweaty again. So he tried to get around that, but it was still an awkward moment, I thought. Mm -hmm. And then also the other thing I noticed that was not, that was felt disturbing in some ways with this timeline was when he was talking about the dog, and this was about, to, to Drew's point, that Creighton would just let him go, mm -hmm. and he would just dig a deeper hole sometimes. And one of which, which is just gonna be hard for the jury to totally understand, is that he, um, he were the dogs acting weird when, when you were there? Was anything out of place? No, everything was absolutely fine. There was nobody on that property, absolutely nobody on that property. I'm sure there was absolutely nobody there, really. Because within a couple minutes, there were people there, and they had to do some horrible things. Yeah, I thought and that was brilliant. that was yeah, and in fact, you had oof. the dogs testifying, really, because I think you know most people realize that dogs would react to strangers in the neighborhood, especially thought, big labs. Yeah, and I, I must say, uh, I thought that was just pure genius that he had these dogs testifying in in favor of, of the state. Yeah, um, especially yeah, exactly. This is this is dog country too, right? We got we're we're in dog country where there are a lot of dogs. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. And that's just a, it. Yeah. Just be a normal thing for yeah. residents of Carlton County yeah. in general yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Just be. I mean, I talk. They to, know how dogs yeah, react and, to everything right. on a farm, right? They, don't mm -hmm. they? And you know, and talking about Dick and Jim, of course, I'm friends with them and friends with uh, folks on the prosecution team, and they are very kind to. They're all very professional, by the way. They do not give out any information that's inappropriate. I've just been very impressed by, by the way they handle themselves. But I've just got to think, I didn't get a chance to ask the defense team, I just got to think they just wish they could have rustled Alex to the ground mm -hmm. and not let him get up on that stand. Yeah. Because his credibility, don't you think, mm -hmm. was zero, or if it could be below zero, it, it, that's where, where he is. Yeah. And they would have preferred not to have I have him. to think that, and the, the professionals being what they are. And again, you know, it's easy to, sit here and second guess when you're armchair quarterbacking in the moment. But my view of both teams is that they're doing both really great work on Absolutely. behalf of their respective positions. And it's just very difficult. And, you know, the facts are the facts. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's where we are. But I do think it's, I guess you had a trend line. The state wants to end strong. And I think they're, they're, they're there. And we'll see what the defense can do in the next uh, couple of days. Another Stop me if we have this soundbite pulled, but I, I did want to read it because I, I thought, it, and you started touching on it just a second ago. Um, and I know we've talked about this before, but what I really was looking for today and looking for from anyone, defense or defense or the state, was a plausible alternative theory. Mm -hmm. Like what? What? What is it? What? If it, if this isn't what happened, then what happened? And Creighton Waters today really dug in on Murdoch and oh, yeah. ma made a point. Um, and I I'm going to read a little excerpt from it here. Um, it it he started going on about random vigilantes. And, and Murdoch broke down crying. And he said, he said, if you saw what I saw regarding Paul, if you saw the way that he had been done, 
you'd know that whoever did that to Paul and murdered him that way just had to hate his guts. Or he, he didn't say hate his guts, but I'm paraphrasing a, a fair amount here. That was the point that Murdoch was trying to make is that he fully believed whoever killed Paul, and he says he still believes to this day, whoever killed Paul, it had something to do with the boat wreck. He was very clear to say he didn't think anybody that was involved in the actual boat crash. Yeah, he was clear about that. Uh, he didn't think any any of them did it or any of their family members did this. Mm-hmm. He he thought, essentially, someone who was radicalized by negative mm-hmm. press, negative media attention surrounding the boat crash had come and murdered Paul. And Maggie was, an, I guess, an unfortunate uh, casualty in that, a bystander. And so Creighton Waters really honed in on this. And in Forgive me as I read this, read this off my screen here for those watching. Water said, note this first line where they really dug in and fought back against the defense's expert witness who said the shooter could have only been five foot two. Waters begins, the 12 year old five foot two people that just happened to know Maggie and Paul both were at Moselle on June 7th that knew that they would be at the kennels alone on June the 7th and knew that you would not be there, but only between the times of 849 and 902 that they show up without a weapon, assuming that they're going to find weapons and ammunition there that they commit this crime during that short time window, and then they travel the same exact route that you traveled around the same time to Almeida. That's what you're trying to tell this jury? And Murdoch said, you've got, a lot of, you've got a lot of factors in there, Mr. Waters, not all of which I agree with, but some of which I do. He just, he, he didn't have, they don't have anything. They don't have, they don't have a plausible alternative and it's that is tough to hear, isn't it? That was hard. I agree. That was hard to hear. I mean, they, uh, yeah. Charlie, where do they take it from here? Like this defense, well, I, I know. like yeah, here, where? I, here's, here's where they take it, and I think they. I mean, you when know, you they, hear they something have, like that, like where? Where do they take it? Alex didn't help himself, right? They hurt themselves on that. I think they would recognize that. But there have been miscues by the state and evidence collection, and. I'm not, you probably could explain this better, Drew, but I think they really believe within that electronic evidence, there's really exculpatory information on what he did to support his not being at the crime scene. I'm not quite sure I get it, but we're going to hear it in closing. And I think they think the data supports a version of supporting his leaving Moselle when he could not have committed the murders. Now, I do, I do agree it's a bit t- testy with the... Early was at the kennels, kind of late breaking news from his perspective. But if you can accept, again, this is a stretch I know for maybe some who've watched the testimony, but if you can accept that he, in fact, did leave before the shootings occur, the electronic evidence, I think they believe, will support him completely on what he did after that. I think that's where they are. And there's mistakes made in gathering, and if they had done the, the, the evidence collecting properly, whoever really did do it, they would, they could, they could have caught something along those lines. Well, and we have another clip that I wanted to play unless you've got something to, okay. I, I'd love to play this clip because this is something that's really stuck out to me. I'm having a hard time understanding how the defense is going to to walk back, walk this this back. 
um, about the steps. So what we understand from the the data that was um, on yeah, that was on the defendant's yeah, phone yeah. was that throughout the day he had been you know walking various steps, yeah. but he was walking at a certain pace. He wasn't. It wasn't a fast pace. It wasn't a slow pace. It was just a person walking around his property. And then all of a sudden from 9.02 to 9.06 p.m., which would be when he was getting up to go to uh, Alameda to go see his mom, all of a sudden he does 283 steps in a matter of uh, three times faster pace than he had done before. Here you go. This is what he uh, was telling us. I was getting ready to go to my mom's house. Getting ready to go? I thought you took a shower already. You were just laying down on the couch. What, what all you need to do to get ready to go to your mom's house? Uh, I mean, there wasn't anything to get ready in, in that aspect, wasn't but anything to get ready, I was, was getting it? ready to go. I was preparing to leave. Do, doing what? I don't know if I got up, <laughs> went to the bathroom. I don't know. I can't tell you exactly what I was doing. And that's far more steps in a shorter time period than, than any time prior, as you've seen from the testimony in this case. So what, what were you so busy doing? That's Going to the bathroom? No, I don't. I don't think that I Did you get on a treadmill. Went to the bathroom? No, I didn't get on a treadmill. Jogging place? No, nope, I didn't jog in place. Jacks. No, sir, I did not do jumping jacks. What were you doing, Mr. Murdoch, for those four months? Preparing to leave for my mom's house. What? What does that mean? I mean, you're in the front room on that couch where you say you laid down. The suburban's just right outside. What all are you doing? I don't know if I got up and went to my room, went to the gun room. You can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Wow. wow. Exhibit A and why defendants shouldn't testify unless they have clear messaging. But having said that, there is testimony that they, uh, the phone could log steps quickly and it's not accurate in distance. And it wouldn't surprise me, they've got time to put somebody else back up or one of these experts that have it. It wouldn't surprise me if they ask a question or two about that, how that could be misleading information. But that was. That, that that hurt him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody in the, you know, you, you, we were talking about it earlier. Is I, I could think five things off the top of my head. Obviously, he was under pressure and just didn't know what to say to that or hadn't thought about that point. Yeah, or, I'm like, you could have... What could, you could have been running up and down steps or right. something, yeah. or maybe yeah. you've, like somebody else said, they were like, well, maybe you're looking for your keys, or maybe you had to go do this or that, or looking for your phone. Right, right. And just Where to, was your yeah. phone? And just to be clear, they had on mm. that graph previous time periods, and the steps were so much shorter. And so here you have this massive amounts of steps right when he shouldn't be walking around at all, really. Well, and what also bothered me about the fact that it was 283 steps. What? 
Well, and it was 283 steps was also counted on some of the other, some, the victim's phones at, at various times. And I'm just wondering if we were out at Moselle, mm -hmm. how many steps it would take to walk from the kennel to the house. Yeah, 1,100 feet, yeah. that's, you divide that by three for a guy who's Alex size, so say a thousand, that's 333, mm -hmm. uh, adds, yeah, uh, that, so 1,100 feet is, a mm -hmm. 900 feet is 300 yards, um, that's 300 steps for a man right. about six foot four. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But didn't Even you finally then. get the, uh, what I thought was, to me, they finally let the state, with their questioning, they had them on the golf cart with the weapons. Oh, yeah. And that made a lot of sense how you could get around and how you could do these killings and get back to the house and the golf cart. Yeah, really, uh, it really speaks to that theory of somebody being uh, shorter than six foot four, too. If he's just standing there, sitting there on a golf cart when you fire the weapons. I know. And yeah. I, I guess... The simplicity of their questioning on that theory, I thought, wow, this really makes a lot of sense. It was just he had the, he had the, the, the blackout rifle right there, and he had the shotgun. He's riding around with Paul, and he knew he was going to do the deed, and he just used the golf cart to catch him sort of un unawares, and there you have it. The only, uh, the only thing Murdoch said today uh, that I thought was <laughs> a good point was that uh, it, to, to what you were just Speaking of a walking or riding, riding around with the weapons, um, was that you don't hunt hogs in the daytime. Right. right. But didn't he tell law enforcement though that he that he was out there looking for hogs or hunting hogs they at were, some point? They they were looking for. Uh, he's. I think he's actually said that looking for hogs, but he clarified that he meant that they were just looking for sign. And it, it's mm -hmm. generally true that you it, there there are two ways that you would uh, and will make this a very brief brief aside there are two general ways that you would try to hunt wild wild boar wild pigs uh feral hogs whatever you want to call them uh, most likely if you're doing it without hounds and dogs you you're doing it at night mm -hmm. because that's when they're active right. so you're not going to just yeah. find them out right. in the day like right. you would a deer or yeah. some other yeah. game animal but am i correct that the rifle they think was used the one that was left inside they found had a scope on it right mm -hmm. So this is the rifle that's terrible for hog hanging anyway. Uh, the the one that they think it's missing. It, the the one that they think's missing and the one that they think was it used has a bad scope. Just the it didn't have scope. the night vision scope. Yeah, it, yeah. It, honestly, with a red dot sight on it, it, it's a pretty nice little accessory to put on a yeah. put on a rifle. But um, but can't you just say, say, hey Paul, let's just ride around with the shotgun in the in the in the yeah, rifle I, and see what we see. If we yeah. see something interesting, we'll target practice. I, I, that. I can the simplicity of it all made a lot of sense to me on how that he could have pulled this off. One, one person. The the what where my mind went with all this is we've heard testimony repeatedly that Paul normally after his rifle got stolen he continued to normally use Buster's Black three hundred blackout rifle right. the the twin just opposite the color good one, right yeah and we recall from early uh, earlier on in the trial where the sled weapons expert, the forensic weapons expert testified that that weapon wasn't properly cycling when he was trying to fire it. A, a semi-automatic weapon, you, which is what an AR-15 rifle is, you pull the trigger, 
the mechanism, the bullet fires, the mechanism springs, it ejects one shell, loads a new one, you pull the trigger again. And that'll, that in mm-hmm. theory works from now until the end of time. You pull the trigger, the machine works how it's supposed to, and you just keep pulling the trigger and it works every single time. He testified that it was not cycling, which is how you would describe that. Mm-hmm. He, he testified it wasn't cycling. And we've heard a lot of testimony that we even heard Alec testify yesterday that Paul never cleaned his guns like mm-hmm. he should have. Mm-hmm. He, he, he made a point to say that, that Paul didn't clean his guns like he should have, mm-hmm. and he didn't take care of them like he should have. And, you know, all the testimony we heard about Paul continuing to use Buster's gun for a long time, and then we hear that Buster's gun wasn't working properly. Well, toss that toss that one aside and pick up the new one that mm-hmm. might not have as cool a scope on it. Right. And start using it. That explains why he went and got a red dot sight and put on it. Maybe the other one wasn't working for a while. It just that's where my mind went. Mm, that's very interesting. It, it and you know these are the kind of details that obviously that's gonna we've got a whole weekend for for the prosecution mm-hmm. and defense to kind of roll over as well. But I did want to say just one more question about why he did it. Um, do we feel like the prosecution has? reached a place of a burden of proof of why he killed yeah. Maggie and Paul. Yeah. I, that is still sticking with me. Like, do we have a why? Well, of course, you don't have to prove motive. You don't have to have that. criminal right. case or murder case. However, hear me out on this. And I, as he testified upon hour upon hour, you know, he threw out the paranoia and the... Um, not thinking clearly and the money drying up and being confronted that day. And then that, to me, very interesting information that he was having withdrawals the day before, presumably that they weren't letting him have any pills. So this idea was in in that Murdoch family name, that line of cross-examination, that he liked uh, the, the authority and the prestige with all that. And it was just all sort of falling away and tied it back into you, you know, you became a victim with the roadside shooting so that you become a victim like you did the first time. I, you bought it. I felt better, I mean, just in terms of, of, of uh, the shocking thought that you would kill your own son and your own wife, just seeing him on that stand and how he repeatedly had to admit to lying for decades mm-hmm. and hurting so many people. I know you're not supposed to use that for character to say that you had propensity to sure. crime, but. I just sort of saw him as somebody that could cross that line that you would, in the abstract, think would be uncrossable. Now, having said that, we do know they tested this, the defense, and they focused. And that's group still that, too hard. We to... know that, and I—that's I, we're going to hear that all. I yeah. Mean, that's going to be. That's another. I mean, that itself can, in a way, create a reasonable doubt. Maybe with it's, some. It's going to be. It's going to be hard for this jury. It would be hard for anyone to convict a man of killing his wife and son without a good reason. I know. So, and not having seen it in person, which we can all talk about circumstantial yeah. versus direct evidence, but which is another interesting point because a lot of people think eyewitness testimony is very unreliable, you know, some current scientific oh, information. Yeah. So exactly. the fact that this is not eyewitness doesn't mean that it's not reliable. So here we are. I think we've very clearly, and this is credit to Dick Harputlian, we feel miles and miles away after today from he was worried about the loss of reputation 
uh, and his uh, impending financial collapse, we feel miles and miles away from that. And we feel much, much closer to he's a damn liar and he's got no explanation for why any of this mm-hmm. doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. Um, which Karma. Harpootian said naked character assassination. But Judge Newman countered with credibility. Right. Um, yeah, I think he's okay on the record on this. Uh, so if you're saying that they don't have to prove motive, my mind goes backwards doing cartwheels to the very beginning and trying to piece it all together as was this a strategy was this that was this the long term was it was the was this a incredible gamble by the by the state to think we'll get we'll get uh we'll, we'll pursue this outlandish theory of motive hoping that we can no i actually think they believe that that it's is the motive that his whole world crumbling down upon him after 20 years of fooling everyone else. And they actually really do believe that's why he did it. And, of course, in, in, as you point out, if you didn't have any motive here, just put up this case without that at all, I think they would have a problem getting 12 to agree on it. So I think we're, I feel it's done in good faith. Just the way you phrased it right there, whole world crumbling down upon him. That zoomed me out a little bit, and you look at the you look at the bigger picture of uh, of I was looking specifically at okay financial he had financial crisis and he was his reputation, but it's not just those things aren't islands. It's no, a, it's a globe. And his house of cards, as Creighton said, he uh, said yeah, or Gruffin, I don't yeah. know. Well, who was it? I think they both were saying at yeah. that point. I think Max. Question? Has a, yeah. Max, do you have something for us? Yeah. Um, you know, there were moments in time where Creighton Waters would like walk away from Alex or mm-hmm. do very delayed pauses. From a prosecution standpoint, are those like tactics you're using to try to pull information out or absolutely? Strip your, uh, it's 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 theater, and you want these pregnant pauses. And you want your voice to go up and down at right times. And he, um, I thought it was masterful. Now, again, I talked about maybe the technique was a bit unconventional, but it worked. And that seemed to be his style. I think he liked sort of rocking around and parading around the courtroom. That seemed to mm-hmm. fit him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. you know, you do have some that say, oh, don't turn your back and don't walk around like that. But I felt like his his um, taking the time and the way he did it was just, hey, if it works for you, I, I think a lawyer should, should continue on. But no, that was not by accident. He definitely wanted to wait. He held his breath. He would, and at the end, I don't know if this was uh, visible to the questioner, but he would lean over the podium yeah. and have to stare down with Alex. Yes. That's all done he, very That's purposely. That's theatrics, yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy, and uh, this is after a few years of, of being around a, uh, a courtroom. He got it. He, th- this will speak to a certain sector of the audience it's the willy wonka meme the G- the gene wilder meme mm. where he's where he's just sitting there with his head on his oh, yeah go, go on go on do, do you don't say and he was just staring murdoch right in the face and those pregnant pauses to to max's point just it was eating it was clearly eating murdoch up he could not stand the pregnant pauses he had to fill the silence mm-hmm. speaks back to Creighton's apparent strategy, get him talking, keep him talking, because eventually he's going to talk himself into some trouble. And then uh, 
I think we talked about this yesterday, but the the Murdoch's very clear strategy of he when in not just Murdoch, but a lot of witnesses, they talk to the they they start off answering. They'll look over at the prosecutor or the defense attorney, and then they'll turn to the jury. And Murdoch for the whole time was just having trying to have a conversation with that jury. Creighton goes to the other side of the room. He did and wouldn't let him talk to that jury. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot there. Yes, <laughs> what a know, day! Another what a day! What a week! It's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, it, I, it, and I do believe, like the the testimony, the 14 hours that Alec Murdoch was on the stand, it is something that we're going to be sifting through for a long time to to understand so, exactly what happened um, later and. But thank you so much for joining us for this uh, Friday evening. Uh, We will have much more for you on Monday. What we're expecting to happen is on Monday, we're going to have four uh, more defense witnesses. If they hold to their plan, they're going to have four witnesses. They're going to have probably a couple of witnesses as um, a rebuttal. Yeah, I'm confident Dr. Kinsey's going to be. I just can't imagine he would be their last strong witness. So Ken Kinsey would be the person who kind of breaks down that crime scene, the forensics again? He's going to show how the... This is for the state, by the way. Right. The, and you get a chance, if, if in order of cases, the um, the way that works is the defense puts up their case. If they don't have to, but if they put one up, you're allowed mm-hmm. to put rebuttal only to... You can have any witness you want to do it, but only in response to the information brought up in the defense case. And so the defense made a really big point of to, of, to Creighton's... Um, I guess, a cynical question on cross-examination about the 12-year-olds, mm-hmm. the two 12-year-olds. And so I'm sure this, uh, the crime scene expert from Orangeburg is going, from the sheriff's office is going to testify that, no, it's entirely possible. I know you were saying in, in, your states, in, your, in the defense case that, no, the, it had to be someone really short. It couldn't be Alex. I'm confident he's going to say it, it could have been Alex. Well, and we've seen him. I've seen him for the last couple of days. He's here, hanging scoping in there. it out, yeah, seeing what's going uh, on. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have, um, so we're going to have that. We're going to have a couple of witnesses, we're told, by the state, if they feel like they still need to put it up. Um, that would be probably on Tuesday, mm-hmm. Wednesday. We're mm-hmm. thinking Tuesday, Wednesday. We're looking at closing arguments. There's mm-hmm. still some discussion by Judge Newman and um, both teams about how long those are going to take. Right. So we will have more. We've, and that was we're, we're going into week six is what I'm trying to prepare everybody yeah. for. Yeah, and I've caught that interesting legal question because uh, the defense requested that split argument by Attorney Griffin and Attorney Harputley, and Judge Newman said he was inclined not to do that, but he right. was going to rule upon that. So that's another pending So we will have something probably on Monday about that mm-hmm. on the closing arguments. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Ann Emerson. Uh, This is Charlie Condon, Drew Tripp, Max Harrison, from all of us at Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders, Money, and Mystery. Thank you for joining us. Please, this weekend, get up to speed with everything, but also check out Unsolved South Carolina, Finding Brittany Drexel. That is also under this franchise. Fascinating case, more documentary style, as we started our Murdoch with um, uh, more than a year ago, Drew. I would love for you to listen to it. I'll leave a five-star review and let us know what you think. One million downloads. Oh, gosh. I know. Sorry. I meant to cue the confetti. We've had over one million downloads of the Murdoch Murders, Money, and Mystery podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone who's ever listened, listened, anyone who's still listening every day, please 
go back, check out our archives. We've got a lot of episodes yeah. from before this trial ever started. As Ann mentioned, we've got a, a, another show that we're doing right now. Uh, we're trying to get the next episode on that out this weekend, Finding Brittany Drexel. Please, thank you for your support. Yeah. It means a lot. Yeah, thank you so much. And and I'll, I'll let us wrap up now, but I, I do appreciate it. And we will see you on Monday. Good night. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.